welcome to the Asimov cast. Short bursts of joy, thoughtfulness and inspiration from the works of Isaac Asimov. I'm Lozzie. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Asimovcast or email to asimovcast at gmail.com. This week we'll be covering two more Donovan and Powell stories, Runaround and Reason. Our first story is Runaround. It was first published in 1942 in the March issue of Astounding Science Fiction. Donovan rushes to find Powell. Speedy hasn't returned. Donovan sent him out after the Selenium five hours ago and there's been no sight or sound since then. Not an auspicious first day on Mercury for the team, tasked with restarting the mission there, one which failed the first time ten years earlier. On Sunside Mercury, radio signals don't work, so they can't speak with Speedy but they can track his movements. He's been circling the pool of selenium for hours. This is a major issue. They can't go out onto Mercury's surface after him and they desperately need selenium as fuel for their photobanks. Fortunately for our intrepid pair, there are six old robots underground, big and clunky, but with at least a positronic brain. Powell orders one of the old robots to go out and order Speedy back or retrieve him by force. These old robots, though, can't move on their own. They need a human rider. Powell and Donovan don their Inso suits and get ready to ride out. The robots make their way through some of the Mercurian tunnels carved a decade ago by the initial expedition. Really a remarkable achievement despite the ultimate failure. Finally, it's time to rise up to the surface in the thin atmosphere. They locate robot SPD-13, codenamed Speedy, but the robot seems very much not itself, spouting nonsense and Gilbert and Sullivan. It sounds quite a bit like he's drunk. Powell takes a pause and tries to diagnose the issue. He asks Donovan the exact nature of the instruction to Speedy. He was asked to get the selenium, but without any urgency, with a passive request. Powell starts to work through this and realises the drunkenness is a conflict with the second and third laws of robotics. While the second law suggests he should follow a human's orders, it was a weak and non-urgent order. Whereas a very expensive military-level robot, its own self-preservation, important has a strengthened view of the third law. The lack of urgency or deadline means the robot is just circling the hazard, not endangering itself and not technically disobeying the order. This equilibrium is what's making the robot act drunk. Having worked this out, Powell realises they need to find something to change the equilibrium between the two law conflicts. They get some chemicals, make explosives with the selenium in an attempt to make it more dangerous and break the balance, but all it does is change the location of the equilibrium point and make Speedy circle the lake further away. Powell realises these two laws will always be in equilibrium unless he can invoke something stronger, the first law, to trump the conflict. Powell puts himself in danger in the Mercurian sun, urging Speedy to save him. Finally, just as he's about to pass out from the heat, the first law breaks Speedy's deadlock and he rescues Powell, who wakes up in the infirmary back at base. So things that inspired me, or made me think, um, they have inso suits, uh, which are bulky, but are much lighter than uh, spacesuits made of plastic and cork to resist the sun. Um, the sort of life on Mercury, I think it's a very interesting way uh, that it's described, um, a very um, hostile place to be, obviously very close to the sun. There is a thin atmosphere there, but... Um, there's massive temperature differential between being on the uh, the hot side, the sun side of Mercury, and on being on the uh, on the dark side. Life uh, effectively needs to 
go on underground where it can be sheltered. That being said, um, with so much intense solar radiation, there's a huge opportunity for uh, for power and for um, for mining, which is what what's driving the the colony uh, there. Where I found joy, um, I I kind of like. We started to get this last week and uh, we'll continue on with it. But I do like these uh, Powell and Donovan stories talking about the conflicts in these laws. I like that Asimov set these laws up and immediately was like, well, how do they get broken? Not they're absolute, they must be finished. And th these are the rules of magic, effectively. Uh, but um, but where do we see conflict between them where, and how does that work it out? What, you know? What, what effect would that have on a robot? And how do you have seemingly clear laws with seeming clear um, separations between them start to have overlaps and uh, complexity due to the way commands might be uh, commands might be issued? So, uh, yeah, an interesting story. And I, I think these confl conflicts in the laws of robotics or how they apply... Um, to different scenarios uh, and what that causes in terms of behavior have been really interesting parts of these stories that we've been going through in the first book. Our second story is called Reason and was first published in 1941 in the April issue of Astounding Science Fiction. Our dynamic duo takes six months of downtime and are reassigned to the station, a space platform that converts solar energy and beams it to planets that need it. After a week, they build a robot, QT-1, or QT, to help operate the converter and manage the station. A week later, and QT starts to doubt their story. How could humans have created it? Seems very improbable. He questions where they're from, Earth, space, as far as Cutie can tell, the station is surrounded by black glass with white specks on it. Power tries to explain the vastness of space, the dots to which they transmit energy beams, and the bright blue dot that is Earth. Cutie is unimpressed. How far-fetched? Dismissing Powell, it decides it will puzzle this out itself. It's a reason machine after all, and this is a problem to be reasoned out. It goes against all logic that Cutie could have been created by Powell and Donovan. They are incredibly weak and inefficient. How could they possibly have created something as effective as QT? Donovan asked the obvious next question. If they didn't create QT, who did? QT has reasoned it out. The converter itself, the master, must have created QT. In fact, it must have created inefficient Powell and Donovan first, and then perfected its design with QT. Powell and Donovan are appalled and set QT straight that it must obey them. But a period of time later, and it's not just QT... It has converted the other robots too, who claim there is no master but the master, and QT1 is its prophet. They are fully indoctrinated now, and Donovan's display of sacrilege towards the converter gets him and Powell locked down with robot guards. Powell and Donovan try to argue, to reason with QT. Well, Powell tries to reason. Donovan mostly threatens it impotently. They build another robot in front of QT. They ask it to review the books, the different depths, the brightnesses of stars. But none of this swings QT. It is reason that the master is the cause and source of all of this. Contrasting information is just anomalies or information created by the master to make the humans feel better. At the same time, there's about to be a solar storm. 
and one that will uh, coincide with the energy beam sent to Earth. Any such storm could distort or misdirect the beam, and rather than send energy to be stored, it could blast a hundred square miles into nothing. Powell and Donovan watch the storm, terrified at what could happen. Hours pass as Cutie controls the beam, not believing in any Earth or humans or impact, just in its master. Finally, the storm has passed, and Cutie held the beam steady. No human could have navigated the beam through the storm so. Powell is excited by this, but Cutie dismisses his fiction of the energy being sent to Earth. It just did as the master wanted it. Powell is done. Cutie has demonstrated it can manage the station. Donovan thinks they can't just leave a robot with its delusions, but Powell is practical. If it can do the job, who cares what it believes? Powell starts to wonder if this religion could be used on other QT models to enable them to operate other stations more effectively. But before he can continue further with the thought, their shift is over and they are relieved. QT understands they are done with their task for the Master and the time for their dissolution has come. Powell tries to tell it that they're just going back to Earth, but QT simply pities their simplicity and ignorance. Powell and Donovan leave QT in the station to a new pair, Franz Muller and Sam Evans. They have told of a new design of a multiple robot, and let Franz and Sam enter the station with a note that they won't have to touch the controls at all, just leave it to the robot. Things that inspired me, or made me think, well, this is, this is obviously an indictment of, of religion and of bad faith, so Cutie is effectively claims reason, but has put all faith in, uh, in its reason that. It must have been created by the converter, by the master, and therefore, within the frame of reference of that uh, that belief, um, everything else can be um, managed away. So, if you think about the creationists who think that dinosaur bones were put there by the creator, or that the light dots uh, in the sky are similar to the sort of stars that you saw in uh, the firmament of um, of sort of early human societies. Uh, you've got sort of a little reference to Islam in terms of the there is no master but the master and QT1 is its prophet and it's pretty clear and then you've got uh, sort of the watchmaker sort of theology thoughts here so the idea that um, if you find a watch on a beach that it must have been created by a watchmaker because something so perfect um, could not have been created uh, accidentally or organically um, this is often used uh, to sort of as a, a theoretical proof of God. Uh, the the watch in that question is um, is a human eye, but uh, in this case the watch is uh, is QT one. So there must be a watchmaker, and certainly the humans could not be it. So the watchmaker must be the master. Um, it's interesting that uh, Powell immediately starts to think when he realizes that uh, the QT is effective and. Uh, and that his religion has helped him be so, that wonders whether he can exploit this religion to better use other um, other robots. Um, but he does, I guess, go. He doesn't care what he believes. Um, he's happy to let him go and keep working. Uh, but as I say, his his first thoughts after that seems to be exploitation. Final bit on, on the science fiction of it, the beaming of energy to Earth. This seems a very risky thing that any micro uh, micro alteration in the beam uh, could destroy hundreds of kilometres, 
hundreds of square miles of the planet. Uh, so I feel like this would be engineered with more uh, fail safes, or they could, you know, wait till storms pass. Uh, but anyway, um, where I found joy, uh, there's a fantastic uh, quote from QT in the uh, story, which I will use. I will uh, try and speak verbatim. So I say this in no spirit of contempt, but look at you. The material made of is soft and flabby, lacking endurance and strength, depending for energy upon inefficient oxidation of organic material. Periodically, you pass into a coma, and the least variation in temperature, air pressure, humidity, or radiation intensity impairs your efficiency. You are makeshift. And thank you for joining me. You can find me at Mean Englishman on Twitter. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Asimovcast. The theme music is courtesy of Alexei Chistillon from Pixabay. Please email your thoughts, what inspires you, and where you find joy in Asimov to asimovcast at gmail.com. Next week, I'll be covering Catch That Rabbit and Liar. Go now. Do not harm humanity or buy in action allow humanity to come to harm.